Also, doesn't the Evan the last Evangelion movie premiere next week? Um, I think it was supposed to, but didn't they postpone it? Oh God! It's called it's called Evan. It's the official title is Evangelion three point oh plus one point oh thrice upon a time. <laughs> yeah. Fucking fucking Anno. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 delayed. The the theatrical release poster has a tagline: "Bye bye all of Evangelion." <laughs> Oh dear! Never gonna happen. We're never gonna get Evangelion. Never, 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 Jellion. <sighs> you cannot release this movie. Welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Go! Duncan. Hey there. And Jeff. Yellow. So we're going to be doing some format switching up from this point going forward. It's not going to be as big as getting rid of our spotlight anime, Let may it rest in peace. Uh, but we are going to be doing our spotlight first, so we come into it just all all juicy and horny and then after the break we'll go into what we're talking about and we'll each talk about like one thing that's really that's really been jiving with us anime related uh, over the past two weeks so yeah strap the fuck in uh because <laughs> our first topic i'm trying to keep the energy high andy yeah don't undermine me no i'm dripping i'm dripping man i'm dripping with that horny energy juice <laughs> right right it's like you the, the catching tray under the barbecue that's got all like the really great grease and fixings oh it's gonna be great you can put it in the fridge it's gonna be <laughs> spread it on toast right <laughs> you know Fry some toast up in it you, you know genuinely that's a british thing it's called dripping it's disgusting you just put it fucking on white bread all british food names are terrible it's like you're it's it's literally i think it's um like uh benjamin arnold or whatever one of the like great things like complained about how brit britain will never experience greatness because it has last names like slag s-l-a-g-g and stuff <laughs> and also our beer is called bitter it's like <laughs> I love a kind of disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Bitter is a sign for poison in nature, but humans have turned it into really weird culinary fixation. <laughs> I mean, bitter, all alcohol is poison, so bitter's actually the most accurate name. So let's just go with that. Still not appealing. <laughs> true. Very true. Look, the British ruled the world, so they didn't have to make their, their products sound appealing. <laughs> Now, a couple generations later, it's it's a it's a bit a bit trickier. But shoes on the other foot. No one wants to eat like beef and kidney pie or whatever. But steak uh, and kidney pie. That's still quite nice. Steak and kidney pie. It's still quite. I mean, nice. sure, but it says it has kidneys in it, Andy. <laughs> yeah, it it does. It does. Yeah, we have a fish and chip shop around here, and they have uh, uh, steak pies, and they have steak and mushroom, and steak and kidney. And if you don't specify mushroom, they give you kidney, and then it's like. It's like, you know, like, oops, all berries, but organ meat, and it's like, fuck. <laughs> well, speaking of disgusting fixations that we can't get over, our topic for this fortnight is going to be uh, the worst anime we love. What's, what's, what's bad about us and the things we like? 
we always kind of dance on the edge of this topic in every single episode without exception. <laughs> so uh, it's not going to be as much of a trailblazing episode as you might think. But then again, it's, you know, a nice we can just transition comfortably to to our to our slightly new format while talking about the anime uh that we uh can't admit to people not including monogatari which jeff and i made made seven episodes about uh six or seven episodes uh but otherwise otherwise other things like monogatari yeah that you can't tell someone at a party you, you like yeah because cause what, what, what would it be like, Ben, if, for instance, you, you'd like to show which was essentially all the worst points of Monogatari, but without any of the redeeming qualities? I, I, you're referring to so much anime content, <laughs> I, I can't even tell you're leaded. Congratulations on narrowing it down. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about... Uh, oh, fuck, I'm now drawing a blank. It would have been a funny joke, trust me. Are you talking, perhaps, about Kimono Friends? Well, that is a show which I do like and was going to uh, bring up. So sh- should we dive right into specific shows or, d- or do we want to just define our trash first? Let's go ahead and say, like, let's go ahead and talk about our weak points generally. Like, are there a type of show that you always fall for, even if even if you know it's not going to be great? Because, like, for me, military hardware shows. <laughs> Upate, I'm going to I'm going to watch Strike Witches someday. It looks terrible. They don't wear pants and they're little <laughs> girls who are who are flying they like fly around like jets. Um but not in a cool way like a like a girly air force. And I can't believe I said cool and girly air force in the same <laughs> sentence. Yeah, that, that was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but no, I always like military hardware. And the other thing I'm really vulnerable for stuff is just that's really just like vintage 90s stuff. Like, I mean, you audience have heard me over the past two episodes talk about uh, Battle Athletes Victory, which ended ridiculously with aliens showing up in the last four episodes, one of whom was half woman, half car. And she was just like a woman's body implanted into the hood of a Ferrari. And that made her really good at running because she's a car. Uh and they were like, hey, isn't this cheating? And the doctor's like, no, she's still got a heartbeat. I'm like, oh, so that's that's where performance-enhancing drugs draw the line, is <laughs> are you still alive after using them? Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's one way of measuring it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's a definite criteria. But I don't want to go too far, because like, all-purpose all cultural cat girl Nuku Nuku is another just like mid-90s like peak shit. But that, that anime is fucking fire. I'm, I'll go to bat for that. Battle Athletes Victory is kind of terrible, but like Nuku Nuku, that's good shit. So that's my thing. Vintage 90s stuff. And are the girls guns or do they have guns or do they love guns? Are they tanks? Do they love tanks? Are they tanks? Are they tanks? (laughs) (laughs) So why haven't you, if that's the case, why haven't you delved into, um, say, the current trend of battleship girls? Like Azure Lane and... um, can <laughs> there are two reasons both even more humiliating than than my interest in that sort of thing the first is that i res- i resent it being based on a phone game <laughs> <laughs> like i i there's obviously not as much artistry going on there because it's based on the phone game. there's no like artistic principles at work obviously uh and second i first encountered uh uh ken kale as porn um, <laughs> and so it's hard for me to to <laughs> I think most people first found that series of porn. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, 
mean, speak for I mean, yourselves. I don't, I don't. I don't consume a lot of 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 hentai, but like, you don't have just to. out of nowhere, it just like every. It was just like every third like uh, dojin porn dojin was was like these girls who just have like of like a fucking ship bridge on their head and like gun turrets on their shoulders. And I'm like, what is what's going on here? Is this like a thing? And I Google, I'm like, oh, it's an anime. It's a, it's a phone game that's gonna become an anime. Okay, that's weird. And then just stayed around. I thought it was gonna go away, but it stayed around forever. And now we have people like Andy asking me if, if I'm gonna <laughs> if I'm gonna I don't know. I mean eventually I'll watch it. I battleships <laughs> are the least interesting branch of the military to me please don't send hate mail navy people uh <laughs> you're probably the least fascist of the of the branches of the u.s military service and the doing the most like good for people in between you know killing strange folk uh so uh but no like i just i don't like i i used to live airplanes but now it's tanks number one airplanes number two ships number three uh, someone else talk, please. I'm begging you. I'll give you five dollars on on Venmo after this podcast is over. I mean, I will. I understand that Azure Lane and those two also came when my Twitter just exploded with nudity of them, and I was just like, "Oh, so this is a thing, right? Yeah. Oh well." <laughs> It's like we were talking about how, like, the 90s trend of, like, a bunch of really great directors just really wanting to fuck a car. And I think that, like, <laughs> that, like in the in the mid-2010s, it's like, what do you could fuck a battleship? There's so many holes. Uh, <laughs> so many holes, so many goals. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's... Oh. it's, it's uh, it is Duggan's weird... the podcast now, so... <laughs> Uh, it's like we're five we're like five minutes in for god's sake like maybe i regret for going in in, in no in no see first. yeah i've outdone you now, now it's gonna be completely duncan's gonna be like oh i like this this weird cross-dressing anime and we're like oh what a what a normie <laughs> <laughs> how vanilla how vanilla uh, yeah but yeah so so can call it it's a it's a weird thing and also weirder that it even got translated because as far as i can tell that game is can call specifically is not in English and is not going to be translated in English and you have to have like a, a VPN to even get into the fucking servers it's a real bull lake um, I I tried for all of like 10 you minutes tried, you tried it though I tried it for like 10 minutes Azure Lane has at least an English client so I can understand why that's more popular but anyway we're not talking about that we're not talking about um, phone games that become anime are, uh, are a different topic for another episode it's it's a <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I hope we do, because it's it's becoming the trend. I was going to say that is a a a, a, a segue if we, if we wanted it, Andy. Yeah, to, uh, <laughs> something you mentioned earlier. A Komodo Friends is a phone game that failed and then like turned into an anime that brought it big. Anyway, like my gen- kind of failed also still. <laughs> my my generic sort of weak spot spot for trash is the classic cute girls doing cute things, mm. and then also. If it's just a little bit horny, I'm like, <laughs> I don't. Just, just I don't, a little. Just, just, just a little. A little bit. Not too just, much. Just, just not too. Like, I guess your perfect example would be something like Food Wars. Like, I, I really. Food Wars is really horny. What are you talking about? My it's God. super horny, but then it gets super good because you actually start caring about the characters. See, this is the problem. But the other one that uh, I was watching, and there's no reason to why. I'm enjoying this as much as it is, but Dan Machi, um, which we've talked about a couple of times. Yeah, everyone likes it, or the first season. Second yeah. season kind of gets some hate. Yeah. 
but that show is is unbearably horny. Like it, it's all the all the evil the evil main character. I'm, not, I'm halfway. I'm like ten episodes through season one, and I kind of hate like the generic sort of setup of it all, in the sort of really like well trodden like JRPG esque thing. But it's not an isekai, so let's not get into that. But like your basic magic set magic like fantasy setting i still can't get over that's not an isekai i thought it was an isekai for literal it, years but again it, it looks it looks like an isekai it does and it's got all the trappings of an isekai because it's just a jrpg like you even have a stat block like she, she literally reads him and he's like oh you've leveled up to level two here are your stats <laughs> and it's just like it's like this is so isekai but it's not an isekai or at least they haven't revealed that hand yet it if it There's does something in season two which suggests it might be, but it's they certainly don't more than just gesture at it. Like there's a disembodied voice which sounds computerized, which one of the, them talks to. So maybe that's them tipping their hat in a, a, a an offhand way really quickly. But mostly it just plays it straight. And then also just the the fucking boobs on display in that show. Oh lord, it's unbearable. Like it's ridiculous. There's chestier, breastier. There's breastier, but then there's also like the evil girl who just has like, a, and we talk about this sort of ridiculous evilness where it's like looks like a jumpsuit, but then it's just missing the middle bit. Yeah. Um. So you get mid boob <laughs> and then belly button, and then it just sort of in this case it just sort of avoids the vagina completely and just sort of goes down one leg as a continuous rip. It's stupid as fuck. <laughs> um. Like, I just... I can imagine the guy drawing it and he, like, gets down <laughs> past the play. He's like, oh, shit, what am I going to do now? <laughs> oh, fuck, down one leg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just start sweating as, as, as the lines yeah. <laughs> Drops going off. <laughs> that fucking... Key and Peele picture, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just constantly sweating. Uh, yeah, so that that's, like, my, my worst vices. I guess you could, you could say Dan Machi. Also, just... Yeah, like just cute girls, like yeah, Yuru Camp, like non Nonbiori, like fucking. But like Yuru Camp's good, isn't it? Non Nonbiori yeah. is notionally good. Yuru, Yuru, they're both excellent animes. Yuru Camp is incredible, but like, uh, it just doesn't like it doesn't go anywhere. Like none of those shows go anywhere, <laughs> and it's well, it's hard to say that it's trash though because those shows are that's literally the point of those shows. They're healing. It's got a phrase, healing anime. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and define trash. I'm going to define trash using our Monogatari things, which is you would be embarrassed to recommend this to someone at a party. Yeah, so Food Wars will definitely be up there. Okay, here we go. <laughs> as as well as sort of. Uh... I have gotten into talk where I'm like, I try to explain why Upate is cool, and they're like, so it's like softcore porn, but all the girls <laughs> are also personifications of, of firearms, and I'm like, yes, and yes, most most of the humor is about the like production details and flaws of their guns one one gun had a tendency for its butt for its uh, stock to fall off and they depict that by her like her pants fall down all the time because her stock falls off and so two birds with one stone you get some etchy <laughs> and you get an inside joke for people who know the sa80 uh assault rifle yeah from your from your glorious armed forces yeah. you brits <laughs> you're welcome i guess the i think the other easy trapping would be any sort of harem show uh like mr maze with kun kun's return is a terrible harem anime so harem animes are also pretty pretty hard sell i think to anyone who's not at least fairly 
well versed on anime. Well, the, the the funny thing with harem animes is they have such they have such strict rules, and I think we were talking about this early before the podcast of like. The first girl rule is ironclad, and if you explain that to people, they're actually kind of chaste anime because yeah. they tease all they tease all this stuff. But the guy is going to end up with the first girl he met. It's very it's almost like an arranged marriage, but the <laughs> anime is arranging the marriage there. Like there's no violation. He's not going to meet a girl in the third act, and and that's the girl that he ends whoa, up with. Whoa, 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 whoa! Sorry, just going to stop you. It should go 100. percent It's the exception. Sure, I I haven't seen I I never figured out what that one was about, so I never watched it. <laughs> it's like you, it's like you 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 show. Yeah, yeah, but the, the, there's like a random photographer girl who's blonde who comes in like halfway through, and then he ends up. Oh, this blonde. Yeah, and then he ends up with her, and you're just like, what about the girl you've been like secretly horning over for the last like hundred odd chapters? Why are you not? Why are you not with her? It it was a weird, strange ending. But it's weird because it it doesn't obey the rules because the rules are so like from Love Hina onward. That's whole that whole thing. The other the other exception they actually uh, Bokuben uh, we can't, which is another classic. I can't recommend this to anyone. Oh, the study the study one. We never yeah. learn, which is actually quite fun. Um, it's good. Like I enjoy it because it's. I get it mixed up with the other with the other anime about studying with hot girls. Oh, the quintessential quintuplets, about five uh, identical sisters. Maybe I don't know. I don't remember that. It it came out on the same season. Um, those two animes. Anyway, the point is, is that Bokuben, they've had the original ending where they chose someone, and now they're going through every other alternative ending where they choose someone else. And then also there was a joke where they did do the who saw her f- him first. Oh. And it was like, cut back to this one scene. He was like, well, actually, I met him at a hospital this time. And it's meant to be like quite funny. It's not quintessential quintet, it, quintuplets. It's a Midara no Aochan wa Benkyo Gyadenkai. Aochan can't study was the other one. Bakuben and, and uh, Aochan can't study came out the same season. And quint- quintessential quintuplets. Oh, Jesus. Wow. So... Bumper crop about girls, dumb girls who can't study. <laughs> I mean, like, this season, our, our, one of our standout shows is uh, a dumb girl who can't study with a big harem of boys and girls. And, like, <laughs> I think Baccarina is tells us why harem anime exists, because basically Otome and Erige and just every sort of visual novel under the sun exists and is very popular in Japan. And this idea that as a fan, you get all the endings. You're not a real fan unless you've you've played yeah. 100% of it and got all the endings. That's great when she's talking with her when she's talking with her like past life best friend, and she's like, "I'm working on the on the evil black hearted prince now. I'm working on this. I'm working on that." Yeah, it's it's something you do if if you're a true fan. You've seen every single ending. You 100% the game. Yeah, and I think that that's why harem and we end up that way because both a you're not a true fan unless you do it all and also because they don't want to spoil anyone's otp <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I, I i loved like that that moment you mentioned in back back arena ben where she's having the conversation with her her friend in the the previous life and she she's like oh no no don't tell me no spoilers and but she she goes over anyway and it turns out the spoilers are what saves her life yeah, yeah that's great <laughs> love like no i i love we could get into this in the second half when we talk more about what we've been watching but like yeah i like that Bakarina is literally just like spoilers could save your life don't don't be so <laughs> precious <laughs> you could die 
and then get reborn in the world of the game. Mm-hmm. And there's a secret, like, fourth, fifth person to romance who will try <laughs> to kill you if you fuck it up. So, spoil away. Read, read, read walkthroughs all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's fan service explains a lot of what's bad in anime in particular. And mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. as anime fans, we're particularly vulnerable to that. Whether it's nostalgic fan service for Ben, whether it's crossover fan service for Andy, whether it's, <laughs> I don't know, what is it for me? Art fan service. Frankly, it's like it's, it's like you, you throw a visual spectacular at me and that that's basically me ignoring all your all your flaws and uh, crimes against humanity and just go, oh, pretty. <laughs> Look at that. I, I should say, actually, like, we were talking, talking about the edgy stuff real quick again. Like, some of my, one of my friends, at, one of my colleagues at work was like, so what is really good anime? What should I start with? And I was like, I just gave him a list of stuff that was on Netflix. And the first one, obviously, was Evangelion. And he was like, yeah, right, I'll check it out. And he was, came back and was like, yeah, it's quite good. And then a couple of days later, he, he posted a picture of the scene just before just before the Asuka, like, runs out the bath naked scene. And he was just like, what the fuck, what the fuck is this noise? And I just went, oh, yeah, that's a classic. <laughs> he was just like, how, what the, what the fuck, how is this a classic? Like, what is this? I was like, oh, yeah, I guess this is really weird if, uh, if you're not at least normalized in any sort of anime. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's funnier because like with with Shinji running out of the bath, like they play it for a joke with the whole like picking up the beer and there's like a toothpick container behind it, and like yeah, it's yeah, post like the initial wave of fan service that it's making fun of fan service, but it's still an awkward watch. And then the the reboots do a better joke where they do the similar thing for Asuka, but it's like a straw. It's good because it, it it hooks over so that it covers her nipples. Yeah, which means it's complete. It's completely chased. <laughs> Should invite over your grandmother. Invite invite your boss uh-huh. from work. Just uh-huh. just come over and watch this anime with me. <laughs> I got this really sweet thing to show you. <laughs> it's about depression and robots. It'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like Tang? <laughs> We've talked a lot about horny trash, but we haven't talked about pointlessly violent trash. <laughs> and on Netflix, the latest season of Baki just came out that is just a pure dumb enthusiastic show that you don't you don't see a lot these days and it's kind of refreshing even though it is also very 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 bad (laughs) you should not watch the show but you should really watch the show (laughs) Baki is basically just like a fighting show without any pretense. It's just, here's some beefcakes, and they're going to fight. And they're going to have ridiculous moves. And you're going to watch it, and you're going to like it, because you're a trash boy. And I'm a trash boy, so I love this trash. It's so good. <laughs> and it's funny, because Baki itself, the the manga came out, and you look at it, and you're like, okay, this has got to be one of those like old-school mangas before anybody had any idea what irony was or had any kind of sense because, oh, it was just the Wild West. You're just going to put anything out. But no, <laughs> this show, or like the manga, I should say, started in like the early 90s, Yeah, which is like a decade after Fist the North Star. It's like deeply obsolete even by the time that 
uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure comes out. Like Jojo's <laughs> is basically just it's Baki. You know, it's a big tough guys with ridiculous powers, but it's way smarter and it's way better. And like it's like why does Baki even exist? Like why is it here? But it gets by on just pure obliviousness to the world around it. Like it just <laughs> wants to go, 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 and that enthusiasm is what brings it through for me in the end. I and. The other thing about Bucky is that it's extremely ugly. <laughs> there was no real sense that the artist, like he, 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 he very clearly understands the human body. Like one thing, Itagaki, the mangaka, is a master of is getting across the idea of just fear, pure physical power. And you will see stills in the show where it's just like. Everything is like, you know, weirdly hyperextended. Like, the is very, just like the perfect, like the perfect keyframes of just like, just a guy getting punched in the head, a guy getting kicked in half with a ridiculous sidekick. And he has a very good understanding of like kinesiology and musculature. Yeah. But it means that all of his characters basically look like the visible man with no skin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody's like 0% body fat. Everybody has like ridiculously uh, exaggerated musculature. And so everybody just looks like these like weird lumpy monster men. And that's not even to talk about the literal monster men that are in the, the earlier series. <laughs> and on top of that, the Netflix show, you know, it came out in 2018 but or but it has this look to it like this airbrush look in a way that's like really appropriate because I mean, that was you know the pinnacle era of like '90s dudes rock <laughs> ridiculous you know testosterone fueled stuff you know like you know like the the raw era of WWE and like all that kind of like that weird like limb biscuit energy of just like history is over all we have now is just pure pointless directionless id and rage and we're just gonna like have some fun with that <laughs> and that in itself is pretty ugly and then you add with it that just totally guileless art style on top of it and again like a very dumb very ugly show but it's just the pure enthusiasm coming through it that makes it so much so very enjoyable and just it has a lot. It has a very similar energy to when Stallone uh, started making movies and started writing movies. He was notorious for just taking over the script, doing whatever he wanted with it. Uh, Cobra is like a prime example, and you have a whole scene of just like you know he has an idea of like this is how we make this guy look like a badass. Like he's gonna come into his house and he's gonna cut pizza with some scissors and clean his gun and <laughs> this is entirely weird pointless dude energy just sort of dripping out of it and that in that spectacle of just total lack of self-awareness in itself becomes just very very entertaining to me personally i don't know about anybody else <laughs> yeah and it's also got kind of a refreshing take on intimacy like I will say this, if there is like literally maybe two female characters in the entirety of all of Baki that I've ever seen, <laughs> oh, three, sorry, there is his like motherly landlady who basically has no character and no point in the story. Uh, there's his mom who is like the like harlot Madonna 
crossover character who's also just a villain in the early series and doesn't show up at all. And there's this girlfriend who is just this total wilting flower. You know, <laughs> there's a chasteness to it, but it's one of those rare shows where a relationship actually gets physically intimate. But the show treats it like it's like a shonen power up, which is very strange. <laughs> There's this like like episodes and episodes long build up to them getting together physically, and like in a way, it's also you know, it has an understanding of just sort of basic human feeling that I think a lot of shows just kind of like layer on the abstraction and layer on the yeah. layer on like sort of like the obfuscation of like you know we don't want to just like talk about people's feelings that's weird and gross but like itagaki just has no interest in anything like that it's just like these people are going to get together they're human beings and they're gonna fuck and <laughs> then they do and then baki is like this like a new man you know he's got all this like unlocked power mm. not because of sex like they don't have like a, this weird like men going their own way mra thing where like oh he plowed this woman and now he's like <laughs> powered up it's like no it's like now he's like he understands the true physical human connection and intimacy and that has given him something to fight for, and that makes him more powerful. And it's just like in a way, it's refreshing. In a way, it's kind of interesting. And it's just like Tomino, uh, notorious creator of Gundam, has <laughs> gone on the record fairly recently saying that, like you know, all of these new shows are all about these you know grass-eating men who have you know no apparent physical needs. And, you know, why don't they ever like? Why don't they ever actually? culminate any of these relationships and you know i'm not gonna say come out and say like oh this is just unambiguously good but it is refreshing and it is kind of nice to see just sort of like a, a different sort of avenue of human behavior in ma in anime that is usually just like either completely erased in favor of like very chaste like pinky touching and stuff like that or just like full on gross hentai sex like there's this like weird like absolute divide but you know either six exists and it's the only thing or it just doesn't exist and this show acknowledges that like yeah people have basic human relationships other than fighting and <laughs> yeah, it's a good show it's just pure id and no irony and i recommend it or i don't if this if everything i've just said repulses you that's probably also a completely natural reaction and but you know watch it or don't as john likes to say well you're braver than us jeff <laughs> I think it's like far more acceptance of violence as as a th thing for a show to be about in in Western media than horniness. Like you can you can get away with having a hyper violent show for, ooh, ooh, far more than you can like a hyper sexualized one. And like I did though consider like p putting um, Black Lagoon on here as like one show I I still really enjoy despite it being just basically hyper violent glorified of mercenaries and having no no real plot and just having like just this dumb pulp feel to it which and I, I wonder do you think um Baki is self-aware in and like you've got um the western traditions you've got things like uh, Penny Dreadfuls and uh like pulp fiction novels in America like and this these genres which were very much aware that they are plot boilers made to just be read quickly and thrown away like literally trash like 
literally trash media, which were just, okay, I read this, then away goes that thing. Because they were printed on such bad paper. And, like, I wonder if, like, is there, like, an equivalently disposable anime? Like, something which maybe, like, the things that Andy suggested, like, Kimono Friends, which are literally just made as advertisements for a, a phone game or something. They literally don't have a value to the people who make them apart from as advertisements and there's i wonder if like maybe there's something it's something to that i mean weekly shonen jump is literally like printed on shit paper isn't it so it's like a have you ever do ever seen like how the size of a shonen jump compared to like a, a, a western comic book like it's like they're like say four yeah, it's no. I just mean the thickness comparative to uh, uh oh. Oh right, sorry. I thought you meant the literal. Yeah, it's like a telephone book. But yeah, yeah. They're, they're, as you say, they're they're like this this almost like telephone book thickness is tome. As whereas like Western comics are these like paper thin things. But it's like this idea that manga is is black and white. And it's done on cheap paper and disposable is is something which I wonder and I wonder has just come through to anime and as in both mediums like something comics in even in the west have, have always struggled with is, is the idea of oh they can't be a legitimate art form they're just for kids they're just throwaway. and i i feel like manga gets the same stigma thrown at it in particular and anime as well but with added um slightly racist um overtones in in the west as well but that's, I mean, I agree, but I think that also just, like, that is the process for every new genre. If you read in the 16th century um, when the novel was become was first, like, becoming stuff, they talk about, like, there are, there are commentators, especially, like, intellectual or monastic commentators, talking about these bizarre books where people sit in corners by themselves and they're laughing and crying and otherwise sit in complete silence and they're completely lost in a fantasy world. And it sounds like how people attacked comics in the 50s and 60s, but they're talking about novels, which are now, like, one of the greatest human art forms ever like I, I mean i don't think anybody would disagree that like that liter- literature especially the like the fictional novel is one of the like the greatest venues for like human creativity and like mm. statement of ideals and it was it was seen as like a weird pervert thing that like you're not you're not reading it to, to anybody it's just like you consuming it's like it's basically masturbation was what it was described as um and just wait until 2237 where hentai <laughs> is considered the highest art form in human history. Well, literal, not literal masturbation. <laughs> uh, but no, I think, I do think that there is like just this discomfort as, as different art forms get mainstreamed. And I think that also, yes, the racist dimension um, and the idea that like, it's, it's very funny that like, if you, if you ever talk to somebody who like, like anime is just all perverted. It's all just like, tits and sex and panty shots and if you're like well american movies are all just like headshots and dudes getting blown up and stuff and they're like but that's normal it's just it's it's a hundred percent just how we like how we like frame our our cultural perceptions but i do think that some that like like it's unfortunate that like the same medium well not unfortunate it's natural that the same medium can be used both for like great art and for for garbage like i'm gonna be talking about uh the eccentric family for our what you watching segment and i think that is a great piece of art and is is that because it's based on a on a 
on a novel as opposed to on a light novel or a manga or a bunch of uh, corporate suits sitting in a room trying to figure out what the most like optimal synergy for whatever is. I don't know, but like it's really impressive how the eccentric family is at the same time using all of like the shaft and Koji Kumita like trappings that we would associate with garbage while at the same time being what I think is this kind of this this very noble and very like high minded and um, subtle like perception of families and grudges and how we build a life for ourselves so that's good shit (laughs) (laughs) it'll be a good talk it'll be a good talk to go into sort of maybe a bit more specific garbage now like i've i've talked like for a moment about how like particularly good visual language is something which draws me in but equally bad looking anime actually can actually draw me in because if someone if i i see something which looks like looks to me like trash and then someone tells me it's good i'm intrigued because like i my my mind just goes what how 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 can this be how can this be this is this it can't be and yet sometimes it is and like something which i'm i'm generally thankful andy introduced to me is kimono (laughs) friends yeah I I went back and watched the the finale of for, for this and God that's nonsense but it's such great so, nonsense. So so did I. The uh, I watched yeah the last two episodes like the second to last episode where Caban Chan gets crushed by the monster is genuinely heartbreaking, uh, and and then and then the really clever clever subtleness in the ending. So the previous episodes the ending has always had these it's like a black and white still shot real life shot of a theme park that is deserted. Uh, and then there's all these sort of like clear silhouettes of the various animals in the show uh, as it sort of moves they become more and more visible but then in the second to last episode they just get rid of the silhouettes and it's really impactful and it's really strong and um it's it's really it's really clever and i really yeah i i can't help but but love that sort of show for again a slice of life that just pulled this like yeah two punch out of the bag this real gut punch yeah i guess that 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 was that was it is it it's it's in into you like you're both a a sucker for slice of life and b far more plugged into the the wider anime community than i am like as you say you or at least anime twitter uh you, you're far more plugged <laughs> yeah. into and self-aware of that than i am like i i hear that stuff from you you're you're my inside source andy <laughs> so it's and Good. but it's it really is Far more than I ever expected of it, but I still feel like it is trash still. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. It's it's complete low tier garbage. And like even just reading up on it, you you are it's a constant shock that it can be as good as it actually is. And to many ways I think you've got to credit the, the director, uh Yao Yoru, to just putting real love and care and attention into this series. Because he's essentially been given a cursed chalice <laughs> at the time that he he got it. Because yeah. the it was a phone game like we mentioned earlier that then failed about three months. It, it closed down service about three months before it went live. Before the anime was going to be airing, uh, he had no money. He had practically no budget, uh, and he just did it all off like his own back and a really small cast of animators who in the first few episodes couldn't even work out how to animate a moving wheel um <laughs> yeah but just pure tenacity pulled through and made something incredible yeah we, we sh- should should mention like when we say bad 
in terms of its art, Kimono Friends is a CG anime. Uh, particularly, it's a very static. Like there's there's mm. there is not m- much flow or keyframes in between individual things. It's just like. I've got this doll, and I'm sort of like moving it from side to side, and and, and, and it's, it's, it is, <laughs> yeah, it, it it does feel like have that feel of like almost like a, a a kid telling stories with dolls almost, and and there's there's like an innocence to it, like mm. uh, almost a lack of artifice, is that actually kind of makes it it really charming, sincere, yeah, and, and fun at the same time, which is strange. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And uh, it's a show that can really, I think, catch you off guard. It's, it's if you're not expecting it, it's a strange... Because, uh, yeah, it's, it's strange uh, how powerful that show still is, even when I know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, glad that, I'm glad that you liked it. And it also just made me recontextualize stuff like mobile, mobile game animes, as actually maybe they aren't that bad and maybe that was sort of a turning point for mobile game animes because or mobile game as i think it's like shortened as to be like actually you can do something interesting with this do the rest of you guys have any shows where you would the thing you'd be ashamed to talk about it or sell it to someone is is its is its visuals in in particular them being bad not them being like violent well actually if you want to say like something where the visuals is what would cause you not to sell it yeah i think i think another another strong example of this is uh is one piece which is you know massive and huge but you look at that art style and if you're not from a even those who are sort of quite au fait with anime it it does look quite ugly, especially the women who are practically Uh, yeah yeah i will admit that puts big titted with no waist and a huge ass and legs that go from the fucking late Titicaca or whatever. Like, it's insane. They're, they're stupid proportions and all the women look the same. Uh, even And the only exception was, like, one fat woman in the first episode. And then she eats a fruit that literally she loses all of her weight and becomes very slimy. And then exactly the same sort of body figure as all the other women. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's a very weird. <laughs> it's a shame John's not here because I'd know he'd immediately bring up Exaholic, um, Triple Exaholic, which has just got like these inc- these almost meme, incredibly well known, almost as a meme um, character designs where people are just terminally elongated, so they're completely out of proportion. Well, that's clamp. That's just clamp. That's their studio style. Yeah. It's just looking um, know, looking awful and realistic. It is divisive though. It, it's as it's like. I think, like to me, my where I go for for this sort of thing instinctually is things where it's the craft is bad, using bad CG or it's slideshow animation or. But I get, I guess, like the style can just be hugely off-putting to people. Like, I mean, some people just won't watch anime full stop just because oh, it's big those big eyed eyed things and like that's right, just a yeah. terrible an- uh, thing. But equally, something like One Piece is unique, mm. and that's a good point to it. But also, that's going to put a huge amount of people off because it's just so much outside other people's tastes. I, like, and, and now it's also just so fucking huge. I think people <laughs> are just I just so instantly been like, sorry, this is like a thousand chapters long, like eight hundred episodes, whatever. Like, you know what? I'll pass. Thanks. Like, it's not worth my time. But I, I personally, I, I still maintain One Piece is 
definitely worth your time because there is some incredible storytelling that could have only been told in that long, long, long ass format that really pays off, I feel. Um, just something anime can do. Unless anyone else, else wants to uh, do it, I'll, I'll go straight into like my my main my, my main show for this. My like I try to just have a think about what what is the worst of my worst. What's the the least redeemable show that I love? Like not just generally like oh that that I sort of like that, but just something I you you say Duncan, would you like to watch this? And I'll go yeah, put that on. I I love it. I love it. It's great stuff and. For me, that is Maria Hollick, hmm. which is a 2008 animation produced by Shaft with an incredibly impressive set of uh, staff behind it. It's directed by uh, Shinbo, who's like basically... Uh, one of our favorite directors <laughs> and like almost he's he's like one of the few directors who's probably considered like an auteur nowadays like who who gets has an entire studio's output associated with him and then the, the his his assistant directors you've got one who was responsible for in uh, Yukihiro Miyamoto who was responsible for Saino Sobo Sensei and Madoka mm-hmm. and one Tomazaku Tokau, who was responsible for Haibane Reime. And then you've got an OP directed by um, the director of Bakamonogatri and an ED by uh, the collective who Inukari, who are known for the uh, mixed media stuff, which became famous in uh, Madoka in particular, and also Zetsuobo Sensei. So it's got this incredibly intimidating um, art staff behind it. Mm-hmm. And its VA list is like all-star as well. It's like all the best people from every Shaft production. And Miri Hollick it's, is by an author called Endo Minari. It's basically a hair anime which follows Kanako, who's this teenage girl who enrolls in an all-girls Catholic high school because she has a, a phobia of men and she wants to find her her one true love in this, this Catholic way of school. And one way of thinking of it is it's basically a delusional isekai. Like, we've had all these shows which are about people who find themselves transported to... In, inside the game. Maria Hollick is someone who has convinced herself she's inside a Galge, who is just acting like all the other characters just exist for her to pursue and to to lust over, and is derailed by two things. Firstly, the fact that they are all completely indifferent to her, and secondly, by her overtly masochistic roommate, uh, Maria who is at the school idol, smart, beautiful, and also a boy who likes to dress as a girl. And this is where problems with Marie Hollick start coming up big time. Like, Because anime does like having a cross-dressing character, whether it's a love interest or just a part of the, the wider cast. Mm-hmm. But it's rare for them to be centre to the, the story. And more damningly, it's just used as a, a excuse to place someone in a situation where they wouldn't normally be for a harem. A good example of this would be Harui in Uran, 
uh, where... Oren Host Club, you mean? Yeah, where we want to put our tomboyish heroine in amongst a group of bisho men. Okay, well, we'll pretend she was mistaken as a boy and voila, now she interacts with them every day. Whereas in the case of Maria, it's just, oh, there's just a background hand-wavy justification for it. It's like her grandmother wanted her to, wanted Maria and her sister God, it's difficult to remember genders of siblings when and cross-dressing is, is a major plot point. But they, basically they have to dress as the other gender for their high school years and whichever uh, successfully manages to do that becomes the chairman of both schools. Who knows why? That's just what they do. And it's so clear like that that is just vague plot hand-waving that... It makes Maria's presence really strange. Her attitude to dressing as as a woman is weird because she enjoys it, but equally, she doesn't seem to identify any particular way. And it's, but thankfully, at least, it doesn't sec- sexualize it because weirdly, one of the the tropes deployed against trans people is what if a heterosexual male claims to be a female and goes into a f- female place and uses it to sexually assault them. And Maria is basically that. It's a, it's a man who is not attracted to other men in a female space because he, he doesn't identif- identify as a woman. He just is doing it for a reason. But he doesn't seem to have any sexual interest in anyone. So I don't know if that's because the author just was vaguely aware of just how stranger thing that is but it's such a difficult setup to feel good about because it's tropey in so many ways and so many of them bad ways and I think what allows me to still enjoy it is this one simple thing it's not concerned with character development it's not concerned with relationships it's concerned primarily with taking the piss out of tropes and the genre it's when every single character really is just their stereotype the tall sports team's captain the bookish girl the shrine maiden when characters really are two-dimensional and the jokes are at the expense of the overhorny protagonists then i can laugh along because it's laughing at the person who reads Eads this sort of, of thing and sees these people in this way. It's not endorsing seeing people as stereotypes, it's laughing at the sort of person who would. And it's just got this incredibly well-timed sense of humour t- to go with that. And so I'm left with the show which has this really problematic plot, but which, in terms of meta-commentary and in terms of production fidelity, is just everything I want and so for whatever reason I seem to be able to get past that even if I perhaps shouldn't (laughs) I have long observed your romance with Maria Hollick and uh I'm glad you connect so well with it and I know that it it walks this very odd I feel like oftentimes um because of the tradition of Okama and kind of intermediate sexuality where it's not like not heterosexual homosexual bisexual just kind of 
somewhat indiscriminate uh, does kind of lead to these positions where we don't really understand someone's sexual and gender identity in an anime or where we appreciate that it's fluid mm. or something like in uh, princess jellyfish like yeah what is the sexuality of that main character like we don't know and it's kind of not our business in a way that i respect and appreciate uh they like to he likes to dress up as a woman and he loves femininity but it's not necessarily built into his his own gender identity yeah um, and i've been curious about maria Hollick. i just i keep mixing up with triple x so uh it's, it's uh, as like, one does I, I think like there is this this trope within anime which like western culture has as well of okay this male cast member is going to dress up as a woman and Oh dear! Everyone finds him slightly more slightly more attractive than they should. Mm. Oh, how terrible! And like that pops up again and again. And I've only really seen it interrogated on one one occasion, which was a season or so back. Um, oh bloody hell! Tennis anime. I loved it. Uh, it stars a line. Stars a line, which I have rhapsodized previously. Oh, you must not be a real fan. You can't remember stars a line. <laughs> So, like, Stars Align has been the only anime which ever sort of, like, takes this trope and in- interrogates it at all, because it has a character who is actually trans in it, and, okay, so they, they have, like, the stereotypical, let's dress up as girls and go and spy, spy on the other tennis team, because we'll hide hide amongst the, the, the star players' fangirls, and no one will notice us. And to most of the, the team who are completely unaware of the way this lad's sexuality is changing and the fact he wants to be identified as as a girl and that's just something they don't want to do but one of them who is aware of how he is just suggests he come okay he he should do that and because he he doesn't want to volunteer for it because like he's fearful of how he's going to be perceived but his his friend knows this about him and, and says okay basically says okay here's a chance for you to be who you want to be and not be judged and it was it's like this really sweet moment where this character gets to just live who he is without anyone being judged and, and just break that, that trope. And, and for it not to be, oh, doesn't he look so much like a girl? It's it's like he's really happy to be it. And he's and like, yeah, it's just like that whole trope has been done good for once. And like... When you see it done well once, and and the the way that a character feeling like they fit that role and fit that choice of how to define themselves is so so rare in in things. And Maria Hollick does a terrible jo- job of it with Maria herself. That to her it's just business, and like I guess that's less problematic than being ashamed of it in any way she likes dressing up but it seems to be just a power thing rather than a i dress up and everyone thinks i'm pretty rather than i dress up and i got anything to do with my identity and i I think like the fact that it doesn't take a position on it is probably what allows me to hand wave past it and its whole complete and utter trashing of anyone who would think of playing a of harem protagonists and of player characters within um, harem games is what I get out of it. And and of course, the, the visual flourish which comes with that production team. Yeah. 
cross-dressing has a lot more different shades here, although I know in, in Japanese society than it does in Western society. Although I know that um, both with like Drag Race and with like how uh, trans YouTube stars like ContraPoints talk about gender expression, but like Otoko no, Noko is the term for just like a man who adopts a culturally feminine gender expression while still partaking in heterosexual relationships. Like they, they have words for this kind of idea that like necessarily adopting the cultural signifiers of femininity does not signal a feminine gender identity or any sort of bisexual, pansexual, homosexual, uh, positioning in terms of of sexual identity so i do think that it's interesting that what anime often deals with kind of in a dilettante sort of way (laughs) of just being like oh this guy just dresses as a girl and like it's a power thing as you said um does actually have i don't know if it's a, a cause or effect or if there's this kind of sort of cycle relationship there i wish that we weren't for straight white guys <laughs> um but i do think that there is this kind of like idea that that there are these these subtler gradations i mean all societies have their own subtler gradations of gender and sexual expression um and even just cultural expression of gender traits without being part of a gender identity yeah uh, and it's interesting that maria Hollick prefigures so much of that like when did maria Hollick? uh it's 2008 uh first season but like is that it's a manga series before that, right? Yeah, so I, I wouldn't know when the manga... Let's have 2006, look. looks like. It's obviously got a Yuri protagonist, and it's got strong BDSM elements to it as well. So it's transgressive to to the norm in, in a fair few ways, but it doesn't seem to particularly focus in on those. Like, it's the sadomastic uh, elements that Maria shows towards Kaneko. It's more like... The contempt the author of uh, Maria Hollick has towards the players of Otome and uh, Eroge games. Like, what a complete and utter cretin you are to think of people like this. And, like, it's <laughs> it's because it's got a, it's a, a female author. I'm, I don't know whether or not that causes me to give it more credit than it's due. But I think, like, when a show has this contempt for its protagonist <laughs> that I think it allows me to hand wave cake and eat it with a lot of problematic themes. I think like that's something like which Maria Hollick particularly does like she's incredibly horny, but she's incredibly dumb because of that. It causes, it's the exact opposite of Baccarina. Baccarina uh, because of her, her knowledge of, of the way Otome games work and these damaged protagonists uses normal real life friendship in a game whereas Kanako uses game logic on normal people and it fails completely because of that and yeah I sort of like it because of that because that meta commentary and because of it so yeah one of you now take this from me oh no i think i think that we're done talking about this we've gone for like an hour i think we've pretty much covered all of our of our favorites we've covered you know 
uh, Upate. We've covered Kimono Friends. Yeah. No, so that was that was kind of equal parts your very guilty pleasure that you've done an, done an impressive Jeff-like do- job of over-intellectualizing. Um, and I think that we'll use that as a way to transition after this break uh, to what else we've been watching. And we'll have our, like, each have our one thing that we were going to talk about for this episode. So, um, yeah, let's take a break and I'll see you all in a bit. And we're back. For the second half, we'll be talking about our other stuff that we've been uh, <laughs> watching. Uh, Andy. Yes, hello. Why don't you talk about your favorite show of the spring season? Yeah, I... It may not actually be his favorite show. No, no, no. It, it's, certainly, it's certainly up there with this season. Um, it, yeah, so... I swear we talked about this before, but you you cats all tell me that I haven't. So we we talked about the first season of Kaguya-sama, but not the second season, which is yeah, what's currently airing. Which is what's currently airing. And um, if you guys don't remember the uh, high uh, level uh, plot of Kaguya-sama, it's between <laughs> uh, this Shirogame and Kaguya. Uh, they are both very. Um, they're very sort of highly strung, and they're they're one. They're both part of the um, student council. They start off hating each other, uh, and then they realise halfway through their first year um, that they actually are deeply in love with each other. Uh, and then, because of their high, um, what would you say that they're sort of like station. their willingness, their high station, thank you, and their willingness not to give in to each other. They refuse to admit their love to each other and instead come up with more and more uh, insane ways for them to try and confess each other's love, um, love to each other. So therefore, they get the upper hand in love, which sounds insane, and it is, but. Because it's such a high concept, it works well, especially when you get the um, third character, which really throws the everything into, um, which really throws the whole situation into a mix. You've got Chica, who's just like this XP that doesn't exist within these two, like <laughs> constant war, and doesn't care about romance, doesn't care about love, and, and just sort of is a crazy, ditzy, hilarious girl who just sort of comes in and throws like spanners upon spanners into the wrench of their ridiculous chess-like um, mind games just to get them to confess to each other. Uh, so the first, and it is very funny, and the first season especially was really well done. And, you know, it it didn't go anywhere. They never confessed each other's love. There was a lot of like very good events that sort of uh, the... It was the summer event that happened in the end of uh, season one. Did it end with the fireworks, Andy? Was that the finale, the f- fireworks festival? Yeah, that was the finale. That's what. Yeah, so that's how it ended. Um, and it it was really funny. Like it, it was really good. It was really well animated and had a lot of heart. And uh, the second season continues that. So uh, unlike the uh, second, the first season, um, the second season starts off with. I guess you could argue it as to be one of their more important arcs, which is the re-election arc. So it actually continues a year. So they're now in their final year and uh, Shirogane stops becoming the uh, high school council president and has to be re-elected. Mm-hmm. And uh, it raises a couple of stuff about their relationship because they're they're so close together. like They're with each other all the time that I always assume that the, the other upon layers of layers of meta jokes that is in this show 
Um, the fact that is another fact is that the uh, the high school everybody apart from them just assumes that they're going out <laughs> and that they are actually a couple. Um, but that's not really the case because there's a very good bit that happens at the beginning of the sh- of the season, like two or three episodes in, where um, he asks her to meet her behind. Um, like the school, uh, like a bike shed, you know, your traditional sort of like asking out date. The confession. Yeah, the confession sort of set up. Um, and it spreads around like wildfire that they're going to, that they're going to meet at this one point. All he wants to ask is that she, he, she, that Kaguya helps um, Shinomiya, uh, sorry, Shirogane to, um, to, to aid him in being re-elected. And had nothing, no romantic intentions, but that gets misconstrued, obviously, because he doesn't tell them. He just says, meet me here. Uh, and then you get this really insane bit where it all goes around the school and then they all just watch with like, like glinting eyes, this like confession, which then evolves into him just sort of like whispering it to her and then running away. It's It's very funny and it's very sweet and it's very well done, but... It's just getting to the point now where everybody just thinks they're going out apart from those two. So is, is, is that the main way it's evolved, that you're, you're getting a glimpse of, like, their relationship hasn't actually progressed still. It's still in stasis, but everyone else's impression of them has changed. Everyone else, the, the outs, everyone else is clued in, but they are, they are as oblivious as ever and no closer to actually confessing. Pretty much, yeah. Um, and it's not like they... they... But there's so many like moments, there's so many romantic moments that happen that, you know, they just can't, um, they just, they just, you just know that they both know that they kind of fancy each other. And I think that is even the concept of the, like one of the bigger concepts of the shows is that they all know, they both know that they like each other, mm-hmm. but they just don't want to admit it. And it's interesting because it's now going to fall into the point where the, the third year is going to end and then they're going to stop becoming high schoolers and then they're going to drift apart. Mm. And I think this is sort of the the driving force that's happening now where it's like, you know, this high school life isn't going to last long. Um, so if you want to do something about this, like, love, you better fucking do it. Yeah, that's interesting, kind of. Like, the, the idea that high school shows are so self-contained within those few years that something which is, which is as incredibly chaste as Kaguya Summer, which is all about them not doing anything. What happens when you put a deadline on that? Yeah, exactly. And it would be bittersweet if that was the case. Like, it it would be quite poignant if they didn't ever go out with each other because of their high status. I can imagine the internet rage if that that is the case. Yeah, yeah. People would not stand for that. (laughs) (laughs) But it would be hilarious. It would be very, it would be very well done. It would be very. Also, it would very much tie into their characters of them just being so regimentally like not wanting to step down or reduce themselves in any way, even though they already have hundreds of times. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They still don't want to. Isn't it pretty common in anime when the, the fated pair finally get together? To then immediately break up for some reason, or to say like, "Oh, no, we must yeah. be apart," and then we'll get back together later, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, that that's oft, often the moment where 
the either, as you say, circumstances then tear them apart, or the rival appears. Mm-hmm. Have have we got any like love rivals appearing this season, Andy? Or is it st- there is not so much a a love rival, but there is a an introduction an introduction of a new character um, who is actually like there's no way that it's going to um, in interfere with their relationship mm-hmm. because they're solid but there's a new character called Miko and she's the she is the runner for the um presidential oh, the rival the rival in the president election who he then is like well if you want to become the a president you might as well come work for us because you'll get um I mean spoilers she doesn't get it it's still Shirogane is still the uh, still the school still wins the election, but I'm once once again I I sort of like feel like that's a shame because like one like that would be the other thing which removes the barrier between them. So how how did what's their excuse if then if one of them loses their power and now is subservient to the other one, then they've got no excuse not to confess. And so like this is just prolonging it more. This is this is pure pure sh- like. Innocent edge lord ding from them both. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I mean in terms of status, I guess you could argue that Shirogane is is of a higher status because she's you know he's a uh, he's um like this is what I think this is quite clever because you know Shirogane is technically the council the president so she he is higher than the the than Kaguya who is the uh, assistant to the president but. Because Kagi is from a strong family, whilst Shirogane is a sort of like born from uh, like he just is very clever and got a scholarship. Uh, so you got then that other power play that's going on. It's like yeah, there's a bunch of stuff, but I don't think Miko is never really a love interest. Okay. Just a just a sort of another spanner in the work, similar to Chika, um, who will eventually find out that. Actually, these two lovebirds um, should really just fucking be together already. But with if they weren't together, if they got together, the comedy would end. The series would end. So I don't think it would ever happen that they split. Or if they if they get together, they'll split. It will just be the end of the show. Um, and it's not ending anytime soon because it's very popular. <laughs> yeah, it's, got, it's got a lot of source material to get through as well. Mm. It's, it's, it's good, like, 30 40 volumes i think so it's nowhere near unless it's been going at freaking back arena pace and just going through <laughs> the entire things in like ep- arcs in an episode and but yeah yeah i i i enjoyed the first season a lot but this has been a really busy season and i i don't know for me like i've there's at least three or four shows i've wanted to keep up to but i haven't been able to and like yeah i i don't know why this has been the, felt like a busy season maybe it's just the outside world's making it feel that way but there's it's, it's been a season where there's been more i've wanted to watch than i have and kaguya sounds like such a well-crafted show like as you say the animation is impeccable it's comic timing is amazing and yeah. it's got a really great little, little central cast in that school school council all the group uh so i think that's maybe something which at some point, I just watch it just because, yeah, I feel like watching a good comedy. And- yeah, and, and for that, I would say go for it. I mean, it seems like as far as the cast and credentials go, it's exactly the same between the two seasons. 
I might say something like One Punch Man. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so, and, and uh, there's only, what, 30, 18 volumes I'm seeing here? So, yeah, there's a lot to them to get through. Um, and I would say, personally, I think it's really, it's still really, really funny. It still has me on the floor um, with the amount of um, belly laughs that show gives me. Uh, and the it only works, like, the, the ridiculously, um, like, the ridiculous constraints that they put each other on and, and the, the situations that they get each other in it's completely unbelievable but also believable because of their characters and i think that's really where the show the show shines uh, i really recommend i mean obviously we all love the first season the second season is just as good hmm. um and it, and i'm happy to hear that it's just as good uh so yeah so yeah that's i mean just just go watch it if you haven't watched it already it's a funny funny show should we now talk about a show which you, you watched, you liked, and then you dropped for, for no and haven't watched an episode since. But I... unlike you, Andy, unlike you, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff has watched a full season of Doro Hedor. Yes, I did. Um, I don't even know sure which season that show technically came out in, but it was finally just dropped on Netflix a couple of weeks ago, and I powered through it, and I really like it, and it's really good. <laughs> I think it was about Christmas. Okay. It was two seasons ago. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, Netflix has turned trying to watch contemporary anime into a nightmare if they get their claws on it. Yeah, it gets parceled out. Yeah, and, you know, you get to you get to, you get get to to binge if you really want to, which is kind of nice, but it's frustrating. <laughs> but what's not frustrating is Dora Hodoro, a very good show. Um, mm. I it's, uh, it's a really standout action show. Um, there's a, you know, it's a pretty well-worn trope, you know, there's a, you know, a tough guy who with you know no memory who's trying to figure out what's going on in a world gone mad with sorcerers and there's a an evil crime family um and like the like visually like the details like the world building is very interesting and original like it you know handled badly it would just be another sort of like shonen fighting show but it's a it had it's it's surprisingly well thought out for a world where basically there, there's two parallel worlds there's the hole and there is the sorcerer's world i think we've already gone over this in the last episode just a quick recap and there's a yeah i think i briefly re- a quick recap sign um and yeah like the basic like you know drama of the show is like sorcerers come to the hole and they mess with people and then people in the hole try to mess with the sorcerers back <laughs> and the show revolves around Kaiman, a uh, victim of the sorcerers who's had his head turned into a lizard's face and like uh, you know the the show sort of revolves around like the ongoing mystery of like who is this guy how did this happen to him why is he so strong and you know and, and for the most part, like, you know, that's pretty dime a dozen. I could be describing a dozen different animes, but what really sort of elevates the show is the writing and the characterization and the relationships in the show, which are, you know, they get a lot more of the attention and they do a lot more to flesh out the villains as well as the heroes to the point where you almost have two sort of parallel groups of protagonists because for the most part, like, both Kaiman and company and the end family uh, are, you know, pretty amoral, pretty violent, pretty brutal people who are mostly just out for their own betterment. But for the most part, you know, you, you know who to root for just because like, and the villain who's like this, like mushroom master who is like building up this uh, like team of other powerful sorcerers 
he is a very interesting depiction of a like a like a sort of a megalomani- megalomaniacal narcissist in which he like he genuinely cares for the other people in his crime family so there's like shin the like ultra violent guy with the heart mask and noi the healer who's also just like a brutal massacre uh on legs and <laughs> but he cares and loves for them as if they're extensions of his own body which is like a classic sort of narcissist tendency and so a lot of the but you know within that context he is you know he has his own drives he has his own motivations and he's not just like a mustache twirling baddie even though you know you get on his wrong side and he turns bits and pieces of your body into mushrooms and it's horrifying and again like in a in a worse anime it would just all be black humor and uh nihilism but for the most part the show has like a heart and soul to it that elevates it so that even though the world that it's created is very grim and very dark and very ultra violent like the characters aren't that way and so you get a nice little mix and it's not it's not you know it's not like baki where it's just like pure id violence for violence sake with like the occasional you know science factoid minute mixed into it it's you know it's it's a very very well written well paced show and even though it's like especially in the first couple of episodes like it goes through like nearly a volume an episode like compared to the manga yeah this pace is incredible it slows down a little bit towards the end of the season but it's still going like at a lightning pace but they pluck out the important parts and they adapt it really nicely and like we were saying before like the adaptation like the coloring is perfect the animation even though it's like it's largely cg but not to the point where it's distracting and yeah, it's 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 a phenomenal show, and if you've read the manga, it's a definitely a, a worthy adaptation of it. And I would absolutely uh, send out a uh, a recommendation to pick up the manga after that. Yeah, I I I've I finished it as well, and I think the as a adaptation which sets the stage for a full full. Full set. Like this has done a remarkably good job of introducing that central cast. Like, I there's not really anyone who we aren't don't meet in this arc who is a a major uh, player in the emotional dr- drama which 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 follows. Like everyone we need to know, we know at this point. And I th- I think you touched on something interesting. Is like typically equal. E- Shows which are as violent as this are typically very nihilistic, but there's this weird, almost contentment with their job t- that people like Shin and Noi have, mm-hmm. uh, or that Cayman and and does. Like they seem really happy with their place in this terrible world, and like although Cayman has this notional quest driving him forward, it doesn't like seem like apart from his occasional nightmares that he's he's that unhappy. He he's he's. He seems pretty happy day to day, going out, out hunting zombies. He's on the one night a year they come around, playing baseball with giant remote controlled cyber cockroaches, and like it's, it's like there's this I I idea of like um, Hunter S. Thompson and Gonzo, Gonzo 
um, uh, like this strange, like I think drugs and uh, violence, which we don't know is happening, which it taps into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they're they're characters, like they're they're characters who are having lives, and so they you know they've got ups and downs and like you know kaiman loves gyoza and he you know a big part of his day is just like you know eating gyoza at nikaido's uh diner and there's it's 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 never a show that just kind of succumbs to pathos like at no point does it think that like oh being broody and serious is like cool in any way it's just you know, these are some lunkheads who are just trying to make their way in a weird world. And it's a world that, like, you know, they don't know any better. Like, they they can't imagine a better world because this is the world they live in. And so mm, yeah. they are, you know, they're still people and they're still, you know, they're they're a climb to a very sort of, like, terrifying world for, by our view. But there's, you know, the, the humanity still shines through even though they have lizard faces or mushroom powers. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that, like, like as you say, like it's this little shithole, and yet somehow they find a way to be happy about it. It's like it's like every other post-apocalyptic show. Everyone's freaking miserable, and no one's found a way of of like having like joy in like like the 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 trope which always gets used in in like post apocalyptic things is oh and this is the one day where we all relax and have a party or whatever but the rest of the time we're we're edgy and tough and mm-hmm. we we have to fight to survive so we can't let our, our guard down whereas as as jeff was saying like everyone, everyone in uh in dorohedo is is still just living their life they whether it's working in a diner or or like just making weird um, f- films to glorify your 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 crime family. They, they've all got these little side things going on, which are just as important to them as any big questions about the world. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they all develop some questions about that world eventually. But at the moment, and, and we're, it's starting out with the important thing, which is what are these people like? And once we know what these people are like, then then it can start asking questions about why their world is why it is. Mm-hmm. And it's also kind of an interesting notion where like nobody is really portrayed as evil. Like mostly, you are portrayed as an asshole if you're a bad guy. And <laughs> it has a very it seems to have a very firm opinion that power makes you an asshole. And in the manga, they sort of go into uh there's like a little side story in one of the volumes that has a like a day in the life of one of the most powerful devils who are like the top tier like almost living gods of the world and yeah you know he spends his day just kind of fucking around and like having limitless godlike power but like he has no limitations so he just does whatever amuses him and that sort of like you know spills down into the world around him and it's sort of the same for like like with N, like there is no other like authority beyond the the devils above him, and so his presence, you know, no matter how oppressive, lends a stability to the world, which allows other people to have like relatively normal lives. And then, you know, in the manga, you get to see how that world deals with you know changes in power and things like that. And so, like, it's it's a show that is like ultimately, I think, I think like 
the worldview is sort of amoral and nihilistic. Like there is, there's definitely no sense of like this is good and this is evil, and it's mostly like you know, mm. being human is about having the people around you, and so, and and fighting for them as opposed to with them. You know, either you know, by coming into conflict with them or by instrumentalizing them, and that you know the individuals who are actually all powerful, you know, are the most you know, unstable and probably the most pitiable at the same time. Hmm. And it's, it's, it's an interesting show that could, would, could otherwise just be like a violent power fantasy in someone else's hands. Yeah. And I was quite worried, Eid, but I'm cautiously optimistic that the second season's going to be uh, a good show and that we will, that they can handle the full arc. Like if they can handle and, this as competently as they they did and introduce us to such a weird and divergent cast, then I think they can handle the full thing. And I'm hoping that it will get updated a bit quicker than some of Netflix's uh, other funded shows. Mm -hmm. But who knows uh, what will come out of the content farm next. (laughs) So is it, is it not a finished season one then? Season one doesn't finish the story. It it finishes a arc within the story, but it ends on a, Semi cliffhanger, mm-hmm. right? Okay, and do you know if there's a second season or? I'm not sure. I like because you were saying that there were some OVAs, which are not on Netflix. It's just the first twelve episodes, I believe. I would have to look that up. I think, yeah, the it turned out, yeah, because you 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 gave me an episode count which was different. Ah, yeah, they're they're packaging one with the DVD as always. <laughs> That's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so. But I hope it's been successful because it, it, I think it did a great job and hopefully it'll be more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of doing a great job, um, I know that I'm pretty, pretty freaking late to this because <laughs> the Eccentric Family 2 aired when? Was it 20, 2013? 20 something teen? Who knows, Ben? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, 2017. Wow. It was more recent than I thought it was. Um but uh, I finally got around to that. I'd put it off because I honestly didn't think that the eccentric family needed a second season. Um, unlike some people here, I do not have an ob- an obsessive crush <laughs> on a certain murderous woman uh, <laughs> in the cast. Is that like of, of all the like the anime women which has been presented to me over the years, like the one to develop a crush on logically shouldn't be Benten because she, as you say, she. She does like threaten to eat the the protagonist and is like incredibly fickle. It's like, what if magical pixie dream girl was actually also combined with Yandere? Yeah, uh, and uh, this is so I ended up watching it just because I wanted to have something that I'd done all the way and. Um, of the many things that Duncan loves and that I would probably love, but I put off for various childish reasons, uh, the Showa Rakugo and Eccentric Family season two are both among those. And I'm here to say to, uh, <laughs> to no one's surprise that I really liked the Eccentric Family season two. I, I thought that while it didn't have the cleanliness of the first seasons, like how do these four inadequate sons um take up the mantle of their their suddenly deceased father um who was this this great community figure um but it does kind of flesh out the magical realism of the setting 
we have all of these uh, marriage alliances. We have a returning heir called the Nidame, which is very, means like the next generation in Japanese, <laughs> basically. Um, and these inappropriate dalliances. We have a, we have a man escaped from hell who's kind of this sort of trickster figure. Uh, it's, I mean, I don't really want to describe anything in particular because I think this is an anime that's very good for you just to experience with its huge cast of characters um, who all have pre-existing relationships to each other. Um, but just watching its several families cope with rapid change, um, Yasaburo's attempts to keep the peace <laughs> as probably like at once the most adept, but also the least worthy of uh, of his <laughs> father's sons. Um, it's entertaining. And also like the, the Kyoto of Uchoten Kazoku, because mm. it's this family of Tanuki, um, which, which are, you know, these shape-shifting raccoon beings. Um, there's several different families living in Kyoto, and they also live with uh they also live and interact with uh these uh clans of tengu which are these like crow demon people um who are very haughty and who drink and smoke a lot uh and just watching them all interact their own traditions um and also especially in the second season the burdens of these grudges from these extremely long long-lived mythical beings kind of clashing up against each other um, and just watching it be pushed to the limit by these grudges being being stretched over between generations. Once, once one generation is gone, and the next generation doesn't really know why <laughs> why <Yeah. laughs> the previous generation had the grudge, but they're keeping it up, um, or they're letting it go and they're getting criticized by other people. Um, but just like this, I just the ecosystem, the social ecosystem that's painted in in the eccentric family novels and anime is really entertaining to me. And it's got an incredibly August cast and it's just, it's got one of the better tsundere's cause Kaisei, one of the daughters of the, of a rival Tanuki clan who um, refuses to appear in front of Yasaburo, the main character, because seeing her undoes his transformation. <laughs> and so she's always hiding inside a tea, a teapot or a mailbox. But, but that's the, that's the trick of it in the end that, that she's not the Sundere. He is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not her who suddenly becomes embarrassed when, they see the other one it's him he he's so flustered by by her he, he loses the very ability to to like f focus on being him which define which is like one of the like one of the things they they say about about how tanuki's powers work in this it's like their sense of self and their self self-confidence uh, sort of affects how well they can transform and because yasubo is is so self-confident and so assured he's he can he can transform really well into lots of different people and lots of different right things. right he, he he goes between these different like groups like he's friends with uh akadame sensei the like the aging te injured tengu patriarch like he mm. it's very it's so it's such a magical it's the most magical realism thing i've ever seen in yeah. japan and that's probably because i haven't read a lot of japanese uh fiction but just like these ideas of like these these aging authorities and these like he's got a, a marriage uh engagement with uh with kaisei that was broken off because of a rivalry between the families and there's a question throughout the second season of do they reinstate it um because it would be good for the families but do they actually like each other does kaisei actually like yasaburo or does she genuinely think that he's a he's a loser fuck up like she talks to him as if he as if he is <laughs> but at the same time it has this very like they they say all the time the translation is usually like a fun thing is a good thing but like it's the whole like emotion emotion is the is the word that 
gets thrown about the most out of anything. That and uh, Anise, the trick or the uh, the fake. <laughs> And so this idea of fakes and like being the fake, the faker king, the trickster king, at the same time, like who cares if it's good or bad, real or fake, as long as it's a, as long as it's an emotionally thing, an interesting and amusing, a a fun thing, then it's a good thing. Is the philosophy? So it has this really like nice easygoingness of like, just like. I think at the very end of the, at the show, like someone asked, like, did you have a fun year? And he's like, yeah, I guess I did have a fun year. And he's like, next year looks pretty boring. And it's like, well, let's try to make it fun. It's that's like the philosophy underneath all of these very intricate social, like interactions and interlocking things as these different families, both of whom are kind of bereft of truly like moral leadership. Like how do they fill these spaces? And in an age when so much media is about found family of just like you and your friends, you're a family now. <laughs> I like that. I like that eccentric family uh, does really posit that you're stuck with your family and they will let you down because you don't get to choose who they are. Mm. Um, and at the same time, like you do your best and you try to make fun out of it and you play tricks and you may not be the most reliable person for some in someone's life. Um, but your family, you're stuck together and it's just, it's you to, it's up to you to make the best out of it and to kind of, yeah, make the fun, find the fun. And at the same time, like, you know, try to steer the family towards something that is maybe more in line with your own morality or your own, you know, perception of what's good and right. And so I really, I really enjoy it. It's, it's a, it is though, just like such an August cast. Cause we have, a. Mamiko Noto is Benton. Yeah. Mai Nakaharu is is Yashiro, the the kid. Yeah, it's got a lot of very, very good, uh very good voice actors. And it's directed by Masayuki Yoshihara, who um was the is like one of the main episode directors for the Ghost in the Shell standalone complex series. So we know he also is just able to make very good standalone uh, oh, in complex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How how did you feel about the the, the shift from the like I, I know it still obviously did have the uh, um, the the Tanuki family's drama rumbling away in the background, but the driving force this this time was the uh, Akamada Sensei and as you say, the Nadaimo and Benten. I was surprised because like I did think. Again, speaking of magical realism, like the question of who is the heir to like a to an aging patriarch, like who is his true heir, is a very magical realism thing. And I was surprised that like Benton doesn't want to be Akadama's Akadama's heir. Then the Nidaime doesn't want to be Akadama's heir. He do, he doesn't ha- he has a true heir. And it's Yasaburo, but he's a Tanuki, so he's not eligible. And that's a very <laughs> interesting situation. And I wondered if they were going to push it away because. We have uh, Ten Tenmaya, the the like guy who escaped from hell, and then he goes away, and then other people come. And it's very there's not a lot of like plot through line. The ultimately the plot that still structures it is is the is this kind of like simmering feud between the two big Tanuki families of Kyoto. But at the same time, having it having as the framework the idea of here's another family in crisis. Yeah. And as opposed to these two Tanuki families who are both striving so hard to become worthy of their, of their, their, their predecessors and their fathers, we have 
these two people who want nothing to do with the with the the old man who considers himself he who considers them their heirs his heirs so i really did enjoy that that contrast personally yeah i th- i think this also has like a far bigger focus on on like obviously the first one had um uh, this huge fo- focus on the the f- four sons of mm-hmm. this father who's taken away from them whereas this more has this focus on 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 daughters and and yes well, that's true and the and the way they have just almost decided to separate themselves from from what their families want wants of them so kaisei ai ebisugawa is that how we say it i can never ebisugawa yeah yeah like she she and the the attempted reconciliation of her and Yasuburo's uh, families through their marriage, and like, does she want this? Does she even like want to be of any use to her family? Does she want to be this vessel through which her the tragedy of her father's love for um, Yasuburo's uh, mother Tosen and his jealousy of his brother? Uh, who married her, her mm-hmm. uh, has has echoed down the, the these generations, and then on um, uh, the, the side of Ak- Akamadana Sensei, um, you've got uh, Benten, who he's adopted into his family, and the, the Naidame, and then we we, we are. I, I want to know how you interpreted this. So, what do you think the relationship? of Benten to the Nidamaya is then? I see, I don't know because there is this sort of a lot of what we see set up in the first season and go, com, continuing through the second season between Yasaburo and Kaisei is like they could be they could be friends, they could be lovers, or they could be enemies. And I think that we see that drawn a lot more vividly between Benten and the Nidame, where they go on a fucking date, like like halfway through the show, and so this. And I'm gonna well, no, let me finish. No, no, let me no, finish. No, 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 okay, no I'm not done yet. Okay, go on. Um, so we we do, we do have this sort this sort of these sort of attraction to people who are drawn to the same fonts of power, and I do think that you do get this idea that if it weren't for the, 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 the familial pressures of both of them and the whole idea that you can clearly see the Nidaime is, is hurt that his, that his father chose a mere human um, to be his heir uh, because of this thing. You, you see that there is a sort of like, it's, 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 I think it's a, it's a very clear love hate thing where I can't believe him. I can't believe that he picked someone who's just like me to be his to be his heir instead of me. And also, fuck that. I don't want to be his heir. So the, he doesn't get he doesn't get to tell me what to do. The the thing is is like, what if the reason that he picked someone who is just like you is because they're your daughter? Oh, do you have a conspiracy theory? I didn't get that. Um. So right. So let's timeline. So. Ben Ten, we we know is like picked up at roughly the same time that Yasubo's a youth, so they're about the set. She's a little bit older than him, maybe f- four or five years. Whereas we know the Naidemi was basically as old as he is now in nineteen twenties Japan, uh, or no, it's was, it was like post war. Like she's like he's got a he has a relationship with someone who looks re- remarkably like Ben Ten. 
and who who who's to, who's going to propose to and he goes to um the to his um his father to ask for permission to marry this this human woman and is where it's implied is is disinherited as the heir and thrown out mm-hmm. and comes back to an empty room where she has already deserted him whether that i i personally took that as an imply as basically she she just she walked out because she felt like she should she he shouldn't even care about whether or not he's the heir she, he should have just stayed with her and i read benton as as her daughter because uh, i don't know if it's her daughter but i do think that it's she's like of the same lineage like not not bloodline lineage but she she even lives in a room which is identical to one we see the 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 Nedame's uh, fiance in um in one point in the flashback the the the, the ruined tower is 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 something we we is the room in the ruined tower is something we see her in so it's it's like these little details and i could be completely and utterly freaking one because like it's it's not definite about any of these things, but this idea that it he picks his what the prof's way of trying to make make up to his son for rejecting him and driving him away is by searching for his granddaughter, finding her, bringing her back into the family. This oh no, I think that's too. I think that goes too far. I I do <laughs> think that it, it is it is the father the father repeating the mistakes of the sons and not realizing it because because we do see that akadama is incredibly dependent on benton and all he like whenever he's sleeping he's just like benton benton oh this is so lonely without benton while he hugs a globe as she's traveling around the world um and so we have this we have i think i think that like that my interpretation, which granted, these are both interpretations that are perfectly valid. And it's, I mean, I didn't notice some of the things that you point out, but I do think that this is the idea that his father would say no because he never let himself do that. Yeah, and that he, and that he had a woman that he no doubt, like, I mean, Tengu are known for their like libidinous uh, <laughs> attitudes, both Ten- Tengu and, and Tanuki. <laughs> but, uh, but like the idea, and, and we have that speech when he's talking to, um, What's the what's the oldest brother's name? Yashiro yeah. or Yachiro? Yeah, it's hard to keep track. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but he he says like I watched I watched your father and your mother um, waste all this time um, standing at the threshold of the doorway to love and never crossing over and I and I eventually locked them in a room and made them do it and you do <laughs> you do you do see like Akadame tends to like squat like let loose his weaknesses with the tanuki he lets because they're just furballs they're not like yeah fully people and so the idea that like don't don't beat around the bush if you love someone tell them you love them and then go be happy together is what he says and the idea that he couldn't tell that to his son and at the same time he has that he has the same weakness with benton years later and who knows if she's the first or just the latest and I do think that that is that is an interesting question, and I'm I'm glad you you made me have to to talk it out more than just being like yeah. than just being about about the question of heirs because it's not just it's not the idea that the question of heirs and the question of love are these separate questions and how absurd that is and how Akadama himself realizes it's absurd that you can love someone and you shouldn't be with them because 
because of bloodline or or tradition or whatever there are these people trapped by these societal these cultural these tradition absurdities uh and they don't really know how to how to move forward from them and the thesis of of the eccentric family especially the second season seems to be like you just got to wait for the next generation to get it right like sometimes the previous generation fucked up things beyond repair and it's next generation and that's why we have uh that's why we have uh Yasaburo's uh grandmother who is this adorable <laughs> yeah. just like little literally just like a just like a glistening like furball where you can barely see her eyes yeah um this like white furball and she's blind and she like talks she's a very a very old voice actress i think mommy koyama i don't know what she's done yeah she just has this this adorable like cadence to the way she speaks like yeah uh, old woman talk uh (laughs) apparently according to uh, she like she did a bunch of dr slump stuff so there's that's that's her vintage um (laughs) she was also elaine in the uh, seinfeld dub for japanese which is wild to think about but like the idea that she's just like that like you already know what you have to do so just like have some fun and and make some trouble make a lot of trouble is like your <laughs> advice twice to him and he like has to think he's like well what what makes trouble is the idea that like what these things that have been laid out by the previous generation you don't have to follow them you can you can make trouble and fucking burn burn it all down yeah, there's definitely there's this like there's this weird link between like this and and Kaguya, uh the way that andy was talking about how they're so obviously in love with each other but so stupidly constrained by these rules and like that's that's something which which eccentric family just again and again says just just forget about these rules yeah these rules don't these rules don't matter they don't actually mean anything a a good thing is a fun thing is a good thing yeah yeah a fun thing is a good thing a fun thing is a good thing yeah again and again and it is fun. And it is good. <sighs> and it is fun. It's beautiful. <laughs> I, I I got a very strong sense that this is that they're not going to have a third season. But who knows? They're making another. I mean, the novels are not done. Apparently, there's only two so far. But okay. but it's a going concern. And if there's another season, I would love. Like it's just it's a nice. It's a community in a real sense where. Mm. Where so much of the show is like Yasaburo walking along and then he like passes by a cafe where there's like one of the Tengus just sitting there like drinking coffee. And he's got his cam he's got his camera, like a like a wind up camera on the table with him. And there's just like there's a sense of things in motion that we don't see, which I think is often something you get when you when you base something on a novel rather than a a manga. Cause I think mangas tend to like take what's in the manga and stretch it out to anime size, but novels almost always have to be compressed down, don't you think? Contrast, and yeah. so just the idea that there's this like massive community of stuff going on and we just get to like see these little these little little bits of it. Yeah. And I'd like to see more, but it might take a while. Yeah, every I, I I'm still extremely frustrated that I can't get a, a Blu-ray of this over here. Like it's... Oh, that's so bad. Well, I don't think this I don't even know if the second season's even gotten a Blu-ray over here. We only have NIS America is the is the the licensor for it I here. I think you. I think there is a a, a a one for your your region, but yeah, nothing. No no English 
subs for my region so it's it's i oh it's so bad so so what i've got to do now like this is generally like this and gundam unicorn are like my my my, the drivers behind why i i'm whatever next i do for a blu-ray solution is going to be region free or god damn it because i want to watch what i want to watch (laughs) a good thing is a good apparently duncan there is an italian blu-ray with uh english subtitles mm-hmm. that should be your region so maybe that's something you look into once again saved by the italians love of anime i never knew that the italians loved anime so much but yeah they're saving us i guess so <laughs> all right well let's go ahead and wrap it up do we have any emails no we don't have any emails <laughs> <laughs> please send us emails yeah yeah. Uh, ask ask us to uh, talk about more embarrassing anime. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll find <laughs> a way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, remember rate, review, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Keyframes Pod. Find us on Facebook. Search for Keyframes Podcast. Email us questions Keyframes Podcast at gmail dot com. And of course, uh-huh. tell a friend. Yes, but I I wouldn't say. Any friend. Just a friend. No, no friend. Any no, friend. Not just All any friend. friends. The, the last friend who, who recommended you something that was so base and trash, um, it made you embarrassed just hearing the name of the title. Yeah. Something like Nuki Nuki Revelations Battle Girl Fart How dare Monger, you? Whatever the fuck How it's dare called. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of telling a friend at a party about an anime you're embarrassed about, just tell a friend about our podcast. Yeah, And exactly. then warn them that the first... 10 minutes of this episode specifically involve a discussion of con- of Kankoe porn, uh, for which we're sorry. For which they'll be like, well, now I'm definitely listening. Uh, yeah, no yeah, apologies. Like, f- fucking there, day one, perch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, all that Kankoe porn. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and check us next week for our topic about uh, young boys who are loners, but really cool, and all the girls like them, and they're actually very smart and talented also known as the Jeff genre. (laughs) (laughs) Say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.